I hated Christians and I hated uh-huh. Christianity and I wanted uh-huh. nothing to do with them, any of them. It sickened uh-huh. me. It, I felt they were weak uh-huh. and I completely said, I am not going to deal with this crap. And I moved on. You know, it took a while for me to, you know, really begin to trust that God had my back. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and welcome to my 14th episode of the Altered Stories show, Healing Conversations with Tawana, my Ecclesia Group Childhood Cult Survival Journey. My name is Michelle Renee Gutch, also known as Michelle Saunders Gutch, CEO and founder of Altered Stories Ministry, a faith-based nonprofit with a global mission located in Overland Park, Kansas. Thanks for listening to my show. Before we start the show, I'd like to take this opportunity and thank those of you that have subscribed and have donated or sponsored stories. We now have almost 600 listeners. I also want to give a big shout out today to Lynn Clark with Beauty Counter, who donates monthly, Keith Custer with TheRipple.net, and to Cody and Jimmy at Revathon.com for their great support, too. Today, I will be sharing with special featured guest Tawana Clark Shepard about my childhood cult experience and God-glorifying recovery journey, which involved years of healing from trauma, abuse, and numerous mental health issues. For those that don't know Tawana, you need to. She's amazing. And a former rock star show guest, Altered Stories Ministry Board member, and is the founder of Abundant Living Legacy Life Care in Overland Park, Kansas. She appears weekly on multiple broadcast streams via her talk show, Talk About It with Tuano, where she raises awareness to the stigma and plight of mental health. So let's get this conversation started. Welcome, Tuana. Thank you so much, Michelle. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. You know, I want to thank you for your great support of this show. Absolutely. And I also want to thank you for taking the time out of your crazy schedule to be able to have a conversation with me. So where do you want to begin? Well, um, I just want to really just start with just kind of warming the atmosphere, if you will, with just letting our listeners as well as yourself know that our topic today that we're going to be discussing truly has what I call a lot of prickly hairs attached to it. Um, And it is often covered. um, I think a lot of things that exist in places that I call call the, the darkness tend to have prickly hairs, but there's certain topics I think that more so we need to just first start by, I think in the natural world, we call it normalizing them, Um, Mm -hmm. although there's nothing really normal, it just depends on your definition about um, the experience of being drawn into and victimized um, by cults. However, just bringing in a sense of community. Um, I want to just start with 
just simply saying, if anything about what you hear today resonates with you, either for yourself or for someone else, you are not alone. At the beginning and the end of this conversation, that is what I want to first just start with. And then from there, to put some data, if you will, some validation to the fact that people are not alone, I would just like to invite you, Michelle, to just begin to tell us all a little bit about your journey, where it began with this particular topic. Sure, Tawana. Um, first um, and firm, foremost, this um, was started very innocently. My mom was friends with some folks where we were living and at that time, and I'm not going to give names and state-specific areas. I'm going to try to keep this where I'm giving you facts, um, where we're not incriminating others. But my mother was friends with these folks, and they had connections to the founder of this cult, and it was called the Ecclesia Group. And when it started off, um, at the time, I was, my dad and mom were together, and my mom, she was struggling with loneliness because my dad was in the Air Force, and he was gone a lot, and she had just become a Christian through the Billy Graham crusade. She um, was a baby Christian, and... At that time, she really didn't have um, a lot of discipling going on. So her friends who brought her into this group, this Ecclesia group, um, were really her support system. And so this, this started innocently. It started as we were meeting in homes. My mom... Um, there were a lot of different families affiliated with this group and everyone was very welcoming and, you know, very loving. And I think my mom at that point in time, you know, felt like she'd found a good place um, to worship God and to grow in her faith. At what point mm -hmm. did it become problematic? What, what were some of those things you remember noticing um, that didn't quite feel right. My dad was actually shipped, transferred overseas to um, on an assignment. And when we relocated to where this group had moved to, because there was a change and they moved out of the state where we were to the, uh, to the new location, um, there seemed to be more, what I would consider more controls um, that were being put on my mom, thus being put on my family in terms of who we could hang out with, who we couldn't hang out with, what we could wear in terms of fashion style, how we should wear our hair, those kinds of things that you know, were starting to be um, imposed on us. We were also not able to 
watch TV. We were pulled from being able to celebrate holidays. And, you know, we were asked to go ahead and, and start passing out flyers or pamphlets to others. And that is kind of where that started getting more complex and complicated uh, for the family because my dad was not around on a day-to-day basis. He, and at that time there wasn't Skype, there wasn't the technology, you know, there was primarily phone calls or there were letters. So when we started getting, my mom started getting more immersed in this, you know, my dad he wasn't getting a true depiction of just how involved my mom was beginning to get and the controls that were starting to be imposed on us as kids. And now, you, you know, I'm sorry, how, that was how, old were, how old were you? Just so we can um, locate. That, kind of the- well, when my dad was shipped out of state and we moved, I was probably going on a, 10, 11. Um, okay. I, we actually started when I was like seven or eight and then it, it progressed. And that is what I remember in terms of it being very difficult for me because, you know, that's at the time when, you know, you're a lot more self-conscious of yourself and having relocated, you want your friends to accept you. You know, you don't want to be different. But anyway, so that was where my mom really started to get off the beaten path. And it just progressed from there, um, where then we started being brought into Bible studies. And those Bible studies were very interesting because at that point in time, there was uh, what I would consider some sort of sexual um, abuse that went on or sexual being around sexual things. And that was really hard. That was when, you know, it started getting hard um, at that Mm -hmm. point because Mm -hmm. we were, we were being asked to participate in things and, you know, we were seeing things that we should not be seeing uh, at the age that we were. So sure. then there was those kinds of activities that went on in the, the collective group. And that was being actually uh, facilitated by, you know, the, the man that was heading it up. So that's, I mean, there's hard things, you know, that came out yeah. of came out of that very hard things and I was very protective of my sister and she was just little because she had come into the picture it was just very difficult because I saw things I should not have ever seen at that age I didn't get it I didn't understand it my older brother was embarrassing and it was very hard you just described um a good a good kind of beginnings um across the span of time of how it started out innocent. Um, wanted to highlight that for those who listen. Most times it does start out innocent. Um, how there's a target around um, isolationism and those who maybe are more isolated 
And yet, statistically, it says that few people who actually are exposed, like people are exposed more often than they actually become drawn in. So statistically, few people who become briefly exposed actually become enmeshed. However, there are specific things that tend to cause one to be more vulnerable than the other. What do you believe caused your family to be more vulnerable, your mother maybe being the one that was um, the head of the household actively at the time? What do you feel like was a, a major factor in her not being able to recognize problematic things once they started and and pull away? I believe my mother had a degree of mental health issues. And I think she had also had some abuse in her family, some sexual abuse in her family that she okay. shared. And I honestly, I... I think my mother has really low self-esteem and I think too that she was naive. She was completely Mm -hmm. naive in Mm -hmm. areas and I think she was missing something in her life and she was looking for some sort of community, camaraderie, connection, you know, those things. And, uh-huh. you know, my dad was pretty absorbed in his career. He always gave her a lot of freedom. Um, at that point in time, my mom really wanted my dad to come alongside her to be, you know, faithful in, you know, church going and, you know, and serving the Lord. And, you know, my dad didn't want anything to do with that. I mean, he mm. was raised Church of Christ and he felt it was very um cultish anyway. So my dad, he was very skittish about Christianity to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, um, you know, in retrospect and looking back and trying to, you know, understand my mom's psyche and where she was, you know, Mm -hmm. I just, I think it was a combination of things. And it's really important that you um, highlight that, that piece where um, on treated, probably even unrecognized mental health issues um, weigh very heavily um, on those who become isolated because in my experience with this population, um, that is definitely a huge component. Um, Whether the issues were further exacerbated by the exposure to the cult like behaviors and abuses, or it existed um, in a significant but unrecognized, therefore untreated measure in the very beginning, almost always there's a component um, of some form of mental health um, issue or struggle. And so that is really important to point out. And then also, you talked, uh, you touched a little bit on the sexual exposure that was a part. And I also find typically there's a huge component um, attached involving sexual um, misconduct and outright abuse. How did that particular part, if you will, if you, if you are comfortable explaining what you're comfortable, because some people I find they don't know that the things that they're being asked to do or engage in, they 
they actually don't know that it's wrong. Do you think it's an age thing? Do you think, in your experience, how what would you say to well, that? Well, you know, he tried to normalize it and make it be like, you know, it's an educational session. You know, mm. so, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's growing different in their sexuality and trying to correlate it with non-inhibitions. And when you're able to sit around in the nude with everybody and, and read the word of God, then that frees you up and it opens you up in your faith and how you are intimate with the Lord. I mean, that's just so twisted. Mm, um, okay. But but that's how he, he called it non-inhibitions. I was at such an awkward stage you know, at that point in time. And, you know, I was just, I mean, can you imagine at that age? I mean, you're, you're you're just growing in your sexuality, you know what I mean? And it was just so incredibly uncomfortable and awkward. You know, all I can say was it was embarrassing. You know, it was just quite out. And, And honestly, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize that I was in a sexual abusive situation or even what you would consider sexual assault until I underwent some counseling. And right. that was when the, the counselor said, the Christian counselor said, you, you, you've been through sexual abuse. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I knew it wasn't normal and I knew it was awkward and I didn't feel mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I feel yeah. highly uncomfortable. And what was so sickening is that there's always people who are trying to, in this cult, trying to make the leader, you know, praise them or, you know, you know, get kudos or accolades for being, you know, doing what the the leader wants you to do. And so, you know, and then they'll humiliate those that don't. But, you know, there were young girls that were doing this. And, and, and they were thinking it was an okay thing. And they, you know, like, you know, you hear of these other cult leaders that like the Waco cult leader and, you know, his preying on all these young girls and, mm-hmm. you know, those things. I mean, that's how it was. You know, you would see, you know, it was almost like, I mean, for me, it was very, very uncomfortable. And I did not want to participate in any of it. Mm. And thank the Lord, he got us out of there, you know, before it really started to get bad. So do you, did you find in your experience at this particular cult that there was a significant um, or even noticeable difference in how the um, day-to-day existence played out based on gender? Did you notice anything different that would say, okay, when it came to males, some cults, for instance, are very female heavy, you know, some are very family heavy, where, you know, everybody is a part of some form of a marriage. And, uh, you know, so did you notice Mm -hmm. anything around gender differences? No, not per se. There were families that had families that were involved. One family had the brother and the sister and their family and family, you know, and they were all involved. And then mm. you would see Lone Ranger type people, you know, people that, and, mm. and these people were very emotionally off, you know, mm-hmm. they, had, they mm-hmm. were off. They, they were not stable. 
some of them. And, okay. you know, and then you would see people coming and going, you know, so you'd have the, the, the base of those that were there and faithful. And then, then you would have those that would rebel and then they were ridiculed. And then you would see people coming in that, that were in desperate situations. So were there any, we, you touched on the, the sexual abuse component. When you mentioned just now the part about people who would rebel, did you, particularly in your experience, witness or deal with any significant amount of physical abuse or, or measures um, of control? I only thought that they would, this is, you know, like, you know, the interview with Teresa that you had, I mean, I have some spotty memories. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I, mm-hmm. I remember a couple of things. One is I remember them chastising me because the man that headed it up, watched my baby sister and I, and they were very hard on my sister. And I remember being very protective and lashing out at them. And I told my mom and my mom got upset and he put a whole like sermon around it and read it to mm-hmm. my mom. And okay. then I remember, I also remember anybody wanting to leave, he would ridicule and, and, and say, you know, you're going to burn in hell forever if you leave this group. And then mm-hmm. also I would, I saw a woman who had a little boy and I remember him sitting at the front and she was allowing him to discipline him and her husband and her were there and she was allowing him to discipline her son. There's so much to um, this particular topic, but for the interest of time, can you take us to the point at which there was a move towards getting out? How did that manifest for your family, for you? It manifested because my brother left home and it came out in the news and the paper of the town where we were living and where the group was at that point uh, ridiculed this man and it all, it came out and they were investigating him. But okay. my dad, my mom, my brother ran away. My dad had to take emergency leave to be able to come back to deal with it. He was in a station in Germany. And at that point in time, unfortunately, my mom and dad, you know, were divorcing. I mean, they, it, was, it was a very bad situation. My brother became the ward of the state uh, mm. where we were at that point. And my parents essentially um, lost custody of my brother. And, okay. and I, you know, I can't, I can't go into too much detail because I don't want to, you know, share things mm-hmm. uh, privately mm-hmm. that would be uncomfortable. But, but mm-hmm. I can tell you that there, that was like a wake up call. And my dad had, and mom had to figure this out in terms of, you know, were they going to stay together? And to be honest, I, I, well, I am being, but I mean, I personally started rebelling big time at school. I grades. Okay. I was a top student and I went down to really, really bad grades and I started rebelling completely. And, you know, then of course the school was also noticing 
some changes in my behavior. So, I mean, there were a lot of things in the family that started to break down. And then I started revealing some of the things to my dad and because he did not know what the extent of our, you know, um, exposure to um, the sexual behaviors and things. He did not know that. And so that started to come out. Bottom line is my mom and dad made the decision based on my dad's saying, hey, it's over or we're over, and my mom chose mm-hmm. my dad. Okay, okay. And I was I was at that time living, I'd moved, and we moved to the Kansas City area. And, and how old were you and your brother at this time? Well, I was 13, going 12, 13, and my brother was um, like 17, but he was not living at home. He had left and was a ward of the state and went finished his high school. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. It was just me and my sister. So, yeah. So that's when, you know, thank God, although it was a slow process, my mom still didn't completely shake her connections or her belief system in this cult and in the way mm-hmm. they serve God. It took mm-hmm. years, and mm. I had so much anger, Tawana, from mm. that, so mm-hmm. much anger at my mom. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that was going to be my next question about just the moving into just my experiences as a therapist, someone who has tried to walk alongside others to a place of healing and freedom and deliverance. What you know, what were some of the after effects? And you said, you know, that you definitely remember there being a lot of anger towards your mom. I have found yeah. extreme, my- extreme, extreme yeah. anger. Yeah. And so how did, how did that affect you in your day-to-day life? I channeled it in other areas to like achieve and to okay. do things. And personally, I was just flat out um, not c- controllable. You know, I, my mom tried and I just, I was not a controllable child at that point. I mean, cause I wouldn't listen to her. I had no respect for her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I did everything I could not to be around her not have to do anything with her or, you know, it took me a long time to heal mm-hmm. my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. Because of the circumstances, my dad, you know, it was almost like my dad kind of let me, you know what I'm saying? Because he he was stuck in the middle of this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then trying to figure out how do we put it all together? How do right. we get back, you know? One of the things that uh, that's a good segue into is talking about the treatment when we start talking around treatment for individuals, families um, who have been victimized by exposure to cults. And, you know, the one thing that I always want to say and highlight first is that treatment or treatment planning must really be very specifically tailored depending on so many factors, like how much time 
the individual spent in the cult? What age were they when they were initially exposed? Whether or not sexual and or physical abuse was a part of it, the other part that people tend to forget is that it's kind of like you're out and the celebration begins, but really the hardest of the work begins because there's a huge financial abusive component that goes with this. Many times people's entire financial lives are tied and controlled by the cult. So it's really important that um, treatment is tailored um, specifically around or treatment methodology is tailored around the needs of the family. There's a component in that we in my in my background always factor in and that's kind of how much case management, if you will. And so you kind of have uh, case management where you're trying to put together all these resources that are a part of the healing process, but not necessarily a part of the therapeutic process, right? And Mm -hmm. so having a background in social work, I have found that the difficulty or the challenge rather in treating individuals who have come out of the cult lifestyle is that you kind of have to work both. You have to wear both hats to a limited capacity with case management, but you kind of have to wear both hats because trust has been so broken that many individuals, especially when you're talking about heads of households, they're not going to just go. So our typical process would be to refer people to, you know, another resource in the community. But a lot of times people, it, it takes a lot for them to trust you as their therapist. So they may not go to those resources, even if you sent them. And so that's one thing that um, I just kind of wanted to highlight, that the kind of support that is needed is so multi-layered. And, and I'm sure as you look back on your experience, there are things that you even see where there were gaps where if certain resources may have been provided, could have made for a um, less rocky recovery um, for mm-hmm. you personally and, and your family. And so if you had to pick any single thing, what things do you identify maybe were missing at that time that, that maybe our listeners could maybe benefit from? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I think having an outside remediation going on, um, mm-hmm. that could help unite us as a family. And my mom and dad getting separate counseling, which I don't think they ever did. Okay. And then the counseling that probably needed to continue with myself, of course, my brother, you know, on his own, and then understanding when you go through that kind of trauma and that kind of control and those kinds of abuse, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that it, mm-hmm. it really has an impact. And Absolutely. it does have an impact on your trust. It has an impact on so many things running from people that would ever want to try to control you at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or even um, recognizing then, the difference between yeah. whether or not oh, someone yeah. is actually trying to assist you or, or, it, or, or control you. Even being able to recognize the difference must be very challenging. Well, and the trust with your mom, mm-hmm. you know, that was completely broken. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you know, to trust that a parent, you know, and, and really, and I think just never really being able to fully trust my mom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. unfortunately, is a whole but, separate you know. set of, 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 of interventions mm-hmm. that needed to be Absolutely. applied. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that also um, is very common that I wanted to just touch on is the specific challenges around religion and theology. You know, anyone who knows you knows that you are definitely what I call a Jesus freak. You are a you are a <laughs> God girl. You know those things, and there's so much uh, what I would call miraculous, redemptive um, properties Absolutely. surrounding that because there are so there's so much around religion and the and theolo- theological um, abuses that happen within cult world. And so um, you mentioned that that was a part of your experience. Um, It's often, often the case. You know, I have found that it's really important that if a person comes to me and that has been their issue and they are open to that at the point at which they become open, I find it really important, just even for our listeners, to, you know, note that you have to proceed cautiously, um, but honestly about, um, for me as someone who is a Christian counselor, I think for me, it's the challenge, but it's also the privilege of being gifted to proceed cautiously and graciously, but honestly about reintroducing individuals to the true character of Christ. Um, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and the fact that, um, I get the opportunity to do that in a way that is gentle, but consistent. And so you have to be very intentional, very cautious. Um, you, you cannot go at a pace that does not fit that individual because they have oftentimes been so abused around religion and theology. Um, but because I personally know and believe to the core of my being that the truth of the gospel, not the false idolization or the false teachings that, quite frankly, I think what a lot of people miss is that the Bible warned us and gave us very clear examples of how this kind of behavior was done from the beginning of time. Um, and it talks about, you know, um, idol worshiping and um, in specific areas of the Bible. But for you, how did you make the journey through the abuses to the place that you're at now in Christ? Well, praise God. His hand was in it all. And I will tell you, when I came out of it, I hated Christians. And I hated uh-huh. Christianity and I wanted uh-huh. nothing to do with them, any of them. It sickened uh-huh. me. It, I felt they were weak. Uh-huh. And I completely said, I am not going to deal with this crap. And I moved on. It was, wasn't until, um, I, I guess I felt like I could be in control of my own life and that I was, you know, you know, they say 
God works, you know, God helps all those that help themselves, whatever. I don't know. All I can say is God put specific people in my life that were loving, that were balanced, that he knew would minister to me, Mm -hmm. that helped me. And um, it was through their grace, their patience, their um, just the way they operated You know, it took a while for me to, you know, really begin to trust that God had my back and that, you know, there really was, you know, a Jesus and a God that, you know, came to this earth and loved us so much, you know, to sacrifice, you know, Jesus on the cross for our sins. And, you know, I just, I had to go through quite a process to be able to have, to have my faith restored, mm-hmm. but God mm-hmm. did it. Like I said, he did it through people. He did it through circumstances. It was through um, his work in my life. Um, mm-hmm. It was through him showing me little bits. He was like a gentleman, you know, and then starting to see the little bits of healing that came, you know, from me sharing and then, you know, being able to grow in, Mm -hmm. in fellowship and grow. And I, and honestly, the first church I ever belonged to was in uh, Denver, Colorado called Cherry Hills Community Church. And God used that church to help Mm -hmm. me heal. And, and that, that is besides the, the friends that are in my life today, many of them, he, you know, he brought the right people across my path and then they started just gently inviting me to do things and be you know and and then I just you know don't get me wrong I mean I'm still very skittish but what's amazing is God brought a man into my life who is very sound in theology he's very good with understanding the word of God and interpreting it and he's also one who is very um careful and cautious, you know, about, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, certain theology, too. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, he he also used my husband a lot, too, in that area. So, I mean, there's a lot, I could go on and on and on, and we could talk for hours and hours on Sure, sure. I can tell you that when I was free, finally free, and God brought that, I mean, I, I lived life differently. And yeah. I, that's why I live life the way I do today, because mm-hmm. it was like I was in prison and God broke the chains. Mm, and that enabled mm-hmm. me to be who I am. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted, I wanted to be able to help others who were bound up. And when you've been in such an oppressive cultish group and of an imbalanced Christians, I can't even call them Christian. They're just imbalanced people. Mm-hmm. You are. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you see the unhealthiness. I mean, that's the thing. I know what's healthy and I know it's not. Absolutely. So and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for people like you that, that, you know, come alongside. And I'm grateful that God brought the right people. And, you know, he just brought so many different things to me to help me through the process that, you know, too, in terms of experiences and, you know, yeah, I had to still do counseling and, 
I was doing counseling up until probably almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I still, you know, mm-hmm. you still have to work through things sometimes yeah. and you, it's just important. So, Absolutely. and there's a lot of cults out there now. I mean, there's yeah. all types of these. Yeah. There, there's so many different forms. Um, I think that that is one of the um, final things that I, I definitely want to highlight that, again, as I said at the beginning, when you hear certain um, certain um, symptoms and signs, it's really important that, you know, we take these things seriously. It's always better to be, you know, more cautious than not cautious or protective enough. Um, many of these things exist now. I have found a trend that um, certain cult leaders will use individuals to particularly target individuals and in, in get into relationship with them. Um, the individual thinks that they're just getting into a one-on-one relationship, romantic relationship with an individual. In reality, that person has been sent out to specifically woo people in um, through uh, what they think is a basic regular dating relationship. And so I definitely would encourage um, our listeners to not just look for the things that we have talked about today coming through a group gathering, but if you are in a relationship where these things are happening one-on-one, um, you take them with the same level of caution and being responsive and protective um, and responsible for your safety as you would if you were in a group setting because, again, their forms are a little bit more covered, sneaky, covert, if you will, um, these days. And so there is that. And then, you know, also back to though our point about the Lord and his, what, you know, what does he have to say um, about this? And people think that, as you thought at one time, that, okay, this is Christianity. This is what I was told. This is Christ's name being used to justify these horrific, abusive um, behaviors um, and oppressive behaviors. Um, But you know, when we look at his word, which is always the most reliable place, if you ever question whether or not this is really Christ, you can you can pick up a Bible. And there's places like in Acts 17 and 16 that reveals that these types of behaviors have existed from the very beginning. Many times the Bible will talk about it under the guise of idols and idol worshiping, um, but it's existed from the beginning of time. And then um, places like Second Corinthians 11, um, 13 through 15 talks extensively about the fact that there is godly justice for those who attempt to abuse and deceive God's children. There is godly justice. So he is not just sitting by and, you know, letting this happen. There has been from the beginning people who attempted to do these things and got away with it for a time. Um, right. It's not new. Although the devices of the enemy might seem new, nothing under the sun is new. Um, I would just like to, to give you one last opportunity to just speak anything, any, any bit of hope or help 
what has helped you? What is one thing that you would say to someone if they're listening and they're still struggling with, you know, cult exposure, oppression? What would you what would you say? Yeah, um, first and foremost, I would say that there are people who've been through this and have been brought out and are leading healthy, fulfilled lives and not mm-hmm. to give up hope. And that God knows what your circumstances and situation and what you're going through. Mm-hmm. He knows mm-hmm. what he knows. You might be confused. You might be fearful. You might be ashamed. I mean, all those things come into play. But I, I would just say, get support. Whether, you know, find someone to confide in, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who've come out of these cults, including myself. I, I actually have on one of my podcasts, um, the story of a human trafficking victim who came out of the rings and human trafficking and sex trafficking. She talks about it. It's Kelly's story, Kelly Patterson. So you can't give up, you can't give up hope. You've got to find someone to talk to and confide in. If, you know, anything, reach out here, you know, to us. I mean, you can reach out to me. You could reach out to Tawana. And getting sound Christian counseling, if you can, in your area or finding some way to reach out to get someone that you trust. Because the hardest thing is the trust. You know, you're trying to find people that you trust. And also to pray, to just ask God for openings, God, you know, just to bring someone across your path. You know, for me, I was a victim because I was not old enough to make choices and do things out on my own. I had a a mother involved, so I had to figure out ways to survive, not just there, but in in the outside world. And, you know... It was a very difficult thing to do, but no, you're not alone is what I would say. And, you know, without the help of counselors and prayers of family and friends and people, I know you have to heal well to be able to help others. And I can say, you know, that God knows your circumstances. So don't ever give up on that. Don't ever let anybody make you believe anything other than what the word of God says and go to your Bible, you know, and, and my mom didn't know the word. Well, yeah, you know, she wasn't discipled. Well, she didn't know the word. Well, she had, she was broken. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, broken people, you know, getting, Mm -hmm. getting hope Mm -hmm. Jesus is truly the, the the best way and the health way and the way to freedom. Yeah, which is a perfect segue into the um, final scripture that came to me um, when we were talking about God's word and the truth of it and the truth of his character and it being in his word and um, how important it is to, um, if you don't know it, then, you know, reaching out to someone who can guide you in that. And um, John uh, 8 and 36, you know, says that he whom the son and referring to Christ there, 
he whom the son has set free is free indeed. And that is the, one of the cornerstones if you ever wonder about the character of God. And so any situation in which you feel oppressed and imprisoned, no matter what you're being told, that is not in alignment with the character of our heavenly father of the son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will give you a sense of discomfort about it. And you're supposed to, like you were talking about, you felt um, not even being well versed in the word yourself as a kid, I'm sure, but still knowing that, that that's who he is. He is a God of freedom and a God of liberty. And so anyone who would try to indoctrinate you into anything else certainly is um, not someone who is working on behalf of Christ. I would just like to say that in, indeed, you know, if anyone is in need of being pointed in the right direction, if even if there's, first of all, the searches of the Internet that can provide Christian counseling, there's actual networks, um, anyone connected to um, the Internet can find even just um, Focus for the Family is a great resource nationwide to be connected with um, Christian counselors in your area. And they do personally vet those individuals to make sure that their doctrine is sound. But even if you are listening to this and you don't want to go that broad with your search, you certainly can um, reach out to myself um, or Michelle. My um, best contact number is uh, 913 Two zero two one seven three. Again, that's area code nine one three eight two zero two one seven three. And I, you know, if if not me, I can point you in the direction of trusted individuals who can support you. Um, definitely. Um, and so, thank you so much. I want to say that to you, Michelle. I know you've shared before, but each time cannot be easy. And I want to just, you know really, really, truly acknowledge your difficulty and your bravery um, and just your obedience and sharing your story and even the difficulty in it. But most of all, the survivor, the triumphant um, outcome of it. Yeah, Tawana, and thank you, by the way, um, for taking the time today to, you know, have this conversation you know, if people aren't willing to come out and share these things, how are we going to help other people, right, Absolutely. who are going Absolutely. through them? So, I mean, each time um, God uses my story differently, and I'm thankful for that. Um, uh-huh. So, again, thank you so much. Um, and as Tawana said um, to all of you, don't be apprehensive to reach out. I also worked at Focus on the Family for a short period of time, and I will say that they do a great job in their counseling program, too. So they're a great resource. And to wrap this up now, so as we move on, because this has been a little bit longer podcast than what we usually do, but this is a great topic. Um, I just wanted to... um, Thank you all again for listening to the show um, and also mention, too, that we have many, many, many Christian women's stories that are out there and need to be heard. 
just like mine, because without me being able to share my story and get uh, the, the healing that I needed through that and through the counseling, I, I wouldn't be able to be here today. And I know that there are a lot of other women out there, Christian women who have stories and they need they need to share them to be able to move forward. And or they're in ministries or they're trying to, you know, do great things in the work like Tawana is doing. So I just ask that you would please consider if you um, are open to donations or helping us further our mission in helping women share stories. We actually have a, a, a way that you can actually donate on our website now. You can also support us in other ways by purchasing um, Beauty Counter Safe products from Lynn Clark, uh, who has been a ministry supporter. We also um, have uh, other ways that you can start fundraisers um, or help raise funds for the ministry. Revathon.com is one. And then also for those of you in the Kansas City area, you can also promote your small businesses by doing coupons for professional services on the ripple.net, which we are actually a charity on that platform. And you can not only help us, but you'd also be benefiting your customers. So anyway, thank you all again for taking the time to listen. I hope you're all blessed from this. And until the next show, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a new nonprofit evangelistic talk show for women. Our ministry is located in Overland Park, Kansas. And if you enjoyed listening to today's show, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of everyday women too. So why don't you share the link to our podcast on your social media? And we welcome your feedback. So let us know what you think. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories. We welcome your tax-exempt financial donations. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, log on to our website, alteredstories.org. That's alteredstories.org.